Welcome to Reckoning. My name is Ingrid, and I'm starting this podcast to share open and honest discussions about our experiences with death. I'm hoping that as a culture, we can grow to talk about it without it being feared as a heavy, scary, and overwhelming topic. Let's talk about it more, get a little more comfortable with it, wrestle and wonder and ask questions. Let's reckon with it. We all have to deal with this aspect of life. We will lose everyone we know, and we ourselves will die. So how can we face this reality with eyes more open, with some grace, humility, understanding, and even appreciation? How can we embrace this aspect of being a human and use it as a way to grow, learn, and expand? The goal of this podcast is to turn toward these shared experiences, using our stories and collective wisdom to gain some courage and strength and skill to face it. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to and have these conversations with me. Thanks for being willing to reckon with the topic of death and dying. This interview is part of a series of seven interviews I did with classmates for a project in my end-of-life class. I'm so grateful to them for sharing so vulnerably and taking the risk to tell their story to me when some of us have only met on Zoom or only met in this one class. If you haven't checked it out yet, I created an episode where I combined all seven interviews into one, and I highly recommend listening. So you're here because we're in the same end of life class. Um, so I appreciate you, as I said before, thanks for taking the risk to, yeah, share your story with me um, for this project. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. I think the class has gotten me thinking a lot about just mortality and end of life and when you offered to talk about our personal experience with those things, I had immediately thought about my grandma. So, mm, yeah. yeah, I I have really been appreciating the class too for our ability as all of us to engage on these topics that so often we don't get the opportunity to. So, but I do feel like, yeah, so often in all of our social work classes, we kind of operate on this intellectual level where we're like talking about things, but it's not, we don't always get the opportunity to bring ourselves into the experience. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm excited to get to hear your story on a more personal level. Um, and yeah, I would love to hear about your grandma. So maybe my first question would be, what was your relationship like with her? My relationship with her, okay. I guess, this is an interesting question because my grandma um, is my mom's mother mm-hmm. and my mom is 
an immigrant from Mexico and all of her siblings. My mom is one of 12, (laughs) seven brothers and four sisters. So we have a massive family. Mm. They all moved to the United States when my mom was like 16 to like Louisiana area. Mm. And my grandma ended up staying there when a handful of other siblings started to move to California and Oregon and Washington areas. Mm-hmm. But somewhere in that timeline, <clears throat> my grandma got a stroke. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how she was impacted with that initial stroke. But a handful of years later, she got another stroke. Mm-hmm. So by the time I met my grandma, when I was maybe in second grade, she had lost about a quarter of her brain's function. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I can't, I don't know how to describe a relationship because Mm -hmm. I know that she knew I was her daughter's daughter and she knew my name and, you know, she was always happy to see me when she saw me. And at the same time, I just also couldn't have conversations with her. Mm -hmm. She also had had two hip surgeries. So her mobility was a little bit limited. She could walk just not for really extended periods of time. So it's not like, I remember growing up hearing kids talk about, like I went shopping with my grandma this weekend and mm-hmm. I remember always thinking, what? That is <laughs> amazing. How do you do that with your grandma? Just because my impression of a grandma is someone, not sure what words to use, but you know, just limited conversation and limited Mm. mobility so Mm -hmm. it was really hard to understand that my grandma was only one version of what a grandma could Mm. be Mm. you know so our relationship was like loving and like at the same time limited Mm -hmm. in some ways Mm -hmm. man I appreciate that articulation because I think um, I think it really points at this idea that we have we have these sort of models of what it what roles should be in families and it's like well moms should be like this and and grandmas should be like this and um, yeah and so that I feel like often especially as we're like kids or you know coming into high school and college we start to see what other families are and we're like what that's not that's not what my family looks like um yeah so I I hear that and resonate with that um and I really appreciate what you're saying too about um how there can be a sort of you didn't say it this way but this is sort of what I'm hearing is Mm -hmm there's like layers to the relationship, you know, it's, it's like, maybe not like complex conversation, but you know, you said the word loving, like there's, it's amazing what can be expressed without language, you know, like you knew she was happy to see you, even Mm. though she maybe didn't have like complex, you know, communications about that with you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I guess my next question then is, uh, so 
you know, you didn't meet her until after she had gone through some of these like really dramatic life-changing, um, you know, medical events. Uh, so then did she, did you live with her at any point or, um, yeah, what, what kind of happens next? Like you, you meet her, maybe you see her on occasion. Um, yeah, good question. Um, so what had happened was my grandma used to live with one of her sons in Louisiana and her care got to be too difficult for my uncle and aunt. So I, this is kind of an assumption. There was a family conversation about mm -hmm. how can we take care of mom and uh, a decision was made for her to move to Washington where I lived with, you know, pretty close to five of my mom's other siblings. So, so there would be um, stronger support. And yeah. so my family kind of established that my grandma would live with one of my aunts. Mm -hmm. And then um, over the weekends, she would sometimes stay with my uncle. Sometimes she would stay at our house. Mm -hmm. Another aunt. Um, but I do remember when I was in second grade and my mom said, oh, your grandma's going to come live with us now. And she's going to be here in such number of days. And I got so excited because mm. I thought that's going to be so awesome. I'm going to have a grandma here and mm. we're going to do all kinds of things together. And then I remember we had this tiny apartment and she lived with us for just a little bit. I can't remember how long it was, but it was a little while. And it took a while for me to realize that, that there was something limiting hmm. because we couldn't have, like I was saying, um, long conversations or, you know, she would kind of I don't, I don't know. She would just kind of like be engaged and look at you and smiling and then like look away or something. Mm. So it was, um, so she lived with us for a little while. And then because my mom and her sister were very close, um, we were just over there all the time. So I saw my grandma probably daily. And then sometimes she would stay with us on the weekends. Mm. And that was for several years from the time I was in second grade until I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. Oh yeah. That yeah. is a, that's, those are like, you know, your formative years. <laughs> yeah. So she was yeah. around for all of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also remember um, once she was around, everything revolved around my grandma. It was like, we would always go wherever grandma was like when we had the family reunions um it, they would always be in Washington because that's where grandma was so everybody from Louisiana and California would come up and all the holidays were places where grandma could get to if there were stairs you know it was like okay we have to like make sure that the uncles are around so they can help her get up and come in and everything um really started centering around around her in lots of ways yeah yeah I'm I'm struck by the parallels of what we've been talking about in class 
you know, and around this book being mortal and this, um, you know, this process of aging and, and so like, you know, in the United States, so much of the question is like, well, who is going to take care of them and where, and like, what facility are they going to be in? Or, um, and I remember one of the classes, somebody had, I think it was in our other class, but somebody had said like, we just would never, we would just never put grandma in a home. Like, that's just not what would happen. Like our family would just take care of her. Um, and yeah. And so, and I, that is, you know, a different cultural model than like, you know, sort of the white middle-class model in the United States. Um, and even to have like all, you know, all those siblings like living together in the same area is like, yeah, family, like we're all here. We all support each other. Um, so I, uh, to be very honest, like I'm jealous <laughs> like that, that just sounds wonderful. Like my family is very scattered and like, you know, it doesn't operate on that same level. And I, I know that there are pros and cons. To mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of work. I didn't particularly do the work, but I saw mm-hmm. how much, yeah, just so much effort, um, that goes into caring for someone Mm -hmm. that can't take care of themselves Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I just remember, I have a lot of memories of my mom's sister that my grandma primarily lived with, sitting at the kitchen table, bottles of medications Mm -hmm. and sorting them into those big, Mm -hmm. Sunday through Saturday containers with Mm -hmm. like a.m. (laughs) mid-a.m. afternoon (laughs) and just just so like just sitting there and organizing everything and it was just such I don't know it was just so much work and that I Mm -hmm. just watched my family navigate Um, Mm. and then the other thing that I'm realizing is they never they never put it on us grandkids Mm. as I'm thinking about this now, you know, it was never, I don't remember ever being asked to do really Mm. do anything like, you know, organize the pills or Mm -hmm. helping my grandma bathe. That was always um, something that the adults really took care of and didn't really put on us Mm. kids. Um, yeah, I just have so many memories of like helping my grandma brush her teeth. That mm. was such a, my aunt or my mom helping her brush her teeth. That was such a production. And when I was little, I was like really surprised and fascinated by it because she had dentures on the top and bottom of her mouth. So <laughs> it was like so fascinating watching her pull them out. And then she, and then suddenly she just didn't have teeth. And I was like, what? That's so... <laughs> I didn't know that could happen. You know, those aren't, those aren't real teeth. They look so real. You would never know. So just like those kinds of things <laughs> that you don't know are real until like, mm. you know, I would never have known that that was mm. a thing. So mm. yeah, just, or like clipping her toenails. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that was like a thing I, my grandma, Ma would be sitting on the couch and then my aunt would midday just say okay it's time to 
to your feet now and then mm-hmm. should do that for a few minutes. So just, I, I do feel um, that my grandma was also very lucky to have her kids available and willing. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. Tender, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I am surprised to be a little emotional because because my impression of my grandma is so different from any other relationships I have with people. Mm. It's really different um, losing someone that you kind of don't really know, but you mm. do know a little bit. Um, mm. It's just such a different, such a different loss. Mm. I would love to be able to just sit and talk with her mm. and like ask her tons of questions about what Mexico was like for her, what having 12 kids was like for her. Like, what was my grandpa really like to you, you know? Mm. And gosh, it's so hard, like knowing someone for so many years and at the same time, never really mm. knowing who she was or, or her opinions of things or what she would have read or, yeah, it's so, it's, it's an interesting loss because, because like I said, she was so central to the mm. family for such a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, thank you for sharing that. And it makes me emotional <laughs> because it's clear that it's, um, you know, it's special. It's like you said, it's, it's a unique relationship than anyone else, you know, you've had in this life so far. And I think that, um, I think there's something really sacred about grandparents because they're our ancestors, you know, and they are, they're like just a little further removed from our, our reality, but we wouldn't be here without them. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to articulate other than like, it just feels like it's a really magical <laughs> relationship. Um, like multiple generations, you know, in one room is, is just this, yeah, kind of a mind blowing phenomenon. Um, and, you know, what you said, you said earlier, um, like she was around for all that, I think was really poignant because it sounds like, I mean, she walked with you through a big part of your life, you know, like she was there for parties and reunions and homework and daily life. And, and there's like a real intimacy, at least what I'm hearing is it's like, there's just an intimacy with that. And like the way you're describing her and her teeth, you know, kind of going back to that idea of like the power of intergenerational living is that as a young child, you get exposed to this idea of like, what, like our teeth fall out? Like, oh my God, what bodies are so strange. And at the same time, she's getting exposed to this like youthful energy and this curiosity. And yeah, that's just an important exchange, I think. And to have that happen for so many years is, sounds really special. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you said daily, daily living, you reminded me of being at my aunt's house. We would go there all the time. Every day after school, we would go to my aunt's house and wait for my mom to get off work. Or over the summer when we didn't have class, we would be at my aunt's house. And my aunt always made dinner or, you know, she always made food for everybody. And occasionally we would get pizza and it was kind of an exciting thing because I don't know, it just feels special to get order pizza. It was like, Mm -hmm. we never ordered food out, but whenever we got pizza, it was like a big deal for us kids. Mm -hmm. But my grandma detested pizza with a passion for some (laughs) reason that I wish I could ask her why, Mm. but she would, it was funny to me, not because I want to laugh at her, just because it was just so bizarre. Like the pizza would be there. And if you asked her do you want some pizza? She would get so angry at you. And she would say, no, 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 no. And it was just like, she did not like pizza. And it was just like something that I thought was so curious. And I was never knew, like, it would be so funny to know what Mm -hmm. was even going on in her mind when she was thinking Mm -hmm. what pizza was or like, why did she hate it so much? I don't even know if she ever tried it. So I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea where that came from. But that was just such a funny thing yeah. anytime. That's great. Well, and especially that contrast of like, yeah, you and all your siblings and, you know, all the kids being so excited about this thing. And grandma's yeah. just like, this thing sucks. So, yeah. yeah. And so my aunt would always have to make like a separate little thing for her. Mm, 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 mm. funny but yeah that's great (laughs) um so then can I ask what um I guess like what was her dying process like um were you around for part of that did you just come home and get the news one day yeah um yeah I can definitely talk about that so things happened so quickly I my memory of it is just a bunch of like blurred images because it was so, it felt like it was so fast. I can't even remember what initially happened to get my grandma into the hospital, Mm. but something, she wasn't feeling well. She went to the hospital and I, all I know is something with her kidneys started Mm. to fail. And one, as soon as she was in the hospital, all of her kids showed up. So, mm. um, yeah, I remember suddenly all of the, all of my uncles had come up and were just around. Um, I think people were with by her side in the hospital all the time, and then. And then I'm, I'm sure it had been something like hospice was initiated. Mm. So her, after her stay ended, I remember my aunt's house, her, my grandma's bedroom at that house suddenly had like the hospital bed in there. Um, 
and you know some kind of IV drip mm-hmm. happening and after she got sick I don't remember seeing her as much I think that either the adults didn't want us to be around her or maybe it was just that she was in the bedroom so I didn't see her as much because she was in her bedroom so I didn't go in there unless somebody asked me to or something like that I don't know um I do remember you know like I said we were always over there we had gone home for the night and it was like I think it was almost as soon as we got home my aunt called my mom and I went with my mom back to my aunt's house. I guess all I remember, I just have an image of the people from the, um, from the morgue had come over. Mm. And it was, I felt like it was exactly like the movies, you know, they had, they had placed her in um, a long black bag of sorts with a long zipper. Mm. And I was in the living room and I just remember seeing them wheeling her out of the house. And, and then, and that was it. Like, so her process of dying felt so fast. It didn't seem like she was in pain and I had really limited contact with her after that initial Mm-hmm. trip to the hospital I think that the hardest part of all that was seeing all the adults mm. lose their mom um, and this was when I was a sophomore in high school so maybe I was 16 or something mm-hmm. and I just remember being so scared that all the adults were so devastated and mm. you know sad and crying watching seeing your grown-ups cry is really scary mm-hmm. and then I remember just thinking okay now I need to be here for my mom mm. feels like it was so long ago and I'm still Mm. kind of emotional yeah I didn't expect that um Mm. can I ask what you're feeling when you say you realized you had to to help take care of your mom what what are you feeling in that moment when you say that like what are you feeling right now um I don't know. I I don't even know how to Mm -hmm. pinpoint it. It's probably a mix of like gratitude that my mom was always there for me and Mm -hmm. just like some kind of like strength emotion to like 
protect myself a little bit so that um so that I can be there for her and and you know like what a bummer to lose your mom and I can't even imagine losing my mom Mm -hmm. so I guess I feel a little bit like what would it feel like for me to lose my mom Mm -hmm. and yeah it's 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 devastating so I can I can Mm -hmm. like I can try to imagine what that would be like and it's yeah just so hard to to know that your parent is going through so much pain is Mm. awful Mm. I I don't know I just want to like also protect her like Mm. she took care of me for my whole Mm. life Emma that is so beautiful I just have to say that um you know I'm imagining myself as a 16 year old and I feel like I was pretty selfish. Um, and so I just think that's really beautiful that in that moment, you have this awareness of like your mom as a human being who's feeling pain and feeling protective of her and wanting to help take care of her. Um, and maybe even, you know, sort of there's that sharp and like bittersweetness of like, so glad for what I have and I'm afraid to lose it. And this is what it looks like to lose it, a thing. And yeah, really complex emotions, um, which is, yeah, a real testament to your 16 year old self to have that level of emotional intelligence, I would say. And in some ways, you know, it feels like, wow, a really a moment of like growing up, you know, yes. And there's one specific memory after my grandma died. And I can't remember if this was after the service or where it fits, but I was in my room and my mom came in. Yeah, there was just this moment where she came into my room and she... I can't even say it. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, she had come in and she just looked at me and said, she said something like, I'm an orphan now and Mm. started to cry. Mm. And and I just, Mm. yeah, I just, hugged her and she just cried in my room for a little Mm. while Mm. I guess I didn't think about being an adult orphan Mm -hmm. and I was also I think I was also confused because I knew her dad was still alive but I also knew that her mom was the one that was her parent. Mm. And so it, it was just struck me that <clears throat> my mom was an orphan because she lost her one parent mm. that she had. Mm. Mm. Oh. I know that it's, um, 
I know that it's really easy to like as an outsider looking in like romanticize things. Um, but the word that comes up as you share, as you share that story is um, again, like intimacy, like what an intimate moment with your mom in which like uh, she's just showing up. So with such vulnerability with you, which is like a demonstration of your relationship with her is so much love and trust. Um, and yeah, that's a really vulnerable thing to say to anyone, you know? And so how, yeah, again, I know that's kind of romanticizing it, but it's, I just have a really beautiful image of that, you know, like a teenage girl in her room and her mom. And, and I think part of what I feel like it comes back to again, is this, like these, the generations, right? Like, you know, like mothers take care of their kids for long, for years and years. And then at some point they, they need to be taken care of, you know, so your mom took care of your abuelita. And so the roles kind of reversed, you know, it was like suddenly your mom was mothering her mom. And then in this moment, it, the roles reversed, at least in that moment, you know, like you're kind of comforting and there for her. Um, and I, I think there's something, this is, this is obviously like a gender generalization, but there's something so beautiful about women and generations of women that I think that caregiving and that showing up for each other emotionally, that is really powerful. And so I just love that in your story, you know, you've got three generations of women showing up for each other in different ways and taking turns, taking care of each other. And, you know, what you're saying with your, your aunts as well, like everyone's just kind of, you know, we like pass the torch and take turns and yeah, I just think that's, I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what else mm -hmm. to say about it, but. I just, again, appreciate you sharing the story with such depth um, and I, I just, I think it's interesting that we have this inclination to apologize for, <laughs> for showing emotion and, mm -hmm. um, and it, whereas like what, what I feel right now is kind of honored. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know you very well, like outside of just these few class interactions. And so like, I'm like, wow, that's, I'm so honored that like, you know, you're trusting me with your emotions and, um, and that you feel like, yeah, you can get, you can, like, I'm, I'm really struck by this fact that like, you're able to tell the story and get into like the depth of it. Um, whereas we can sometimes, again, like operate in these sort of intellectual spaces where we can just like talk about things, but not really like, really feel what we're feeling. And um, so thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it means a lot um, being able to talk about it again because, mm. because it happened so long ago, because I was so young. Mm -hmm. I think, honestly, this is probably the first time I've talked about this in such 
detail and and had to try Mm. um building a timeline of what happened or you know just remembering things and yeah so anyway Mm. I'm also really grateful for Mm. you listening and and asking no one ever asks is another thing and yeah um I guess having the opportunity to to remember and to share the story is Mm. I guess something I didn't know I wanted to do Mm. Mm. oh I'm so glad and that's yeah, other in other interviews, people have said similar things. Like no one ever asks, and and especially like as time goes on, it's like maybe when it's fresh or happening in the moment, people people ask. But then yeah, time goes on, and it's sort of assumed like are are we over this now or like <laughs> like that happened a long time ago. But um, yeah, but I think yeah, there is something really rich and valuable about revisiting, um, and. Yeah, and like as time goes on, our perspective changes and we have new insights and, you know, like, you know, maybe at some point you'll be the age that your mother was when when you lost your grandmother, you know? And so then it's like, then you have a totally different perspective to like the 16-year-old perspective. And anyway, so I think, yeah, I just think there's... Like, why, what are we so afraid of? You know, like we're all, it's such a scary topic. And then, and I, I don't know, I guess just my experience, my limited experience in this project has been that it's almost always like profound or sweet or like brings up something valuable. Um, can I ask uh, one more question is um, what, what was your grandmother's name? My grandmother was Maria. Ayala Gonzalez. Mm. Yeah, just saying her name reminded me that sometimes she would sit at the kitchen table and she would practice writing her name. So that was something she never forgot. Mm. And she would, in cursive, just write her name over Mm. and over Mm. on a sheet of paper. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing her name and her, her story, a little bit of her story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was just a tiny, tiny mm-hmm. bit, what I remember and what her life sure. was. Sure. I wish I knew more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandma was buried in the town that I grew up in and it ended up being really beautiful because we had a mariachi come and mm. play these beautiful, sad, and lovely songs. Mm. And having everybody around, you know, before that, we only got together for family reunions, weddings, or quinceañeras. This was our first funeral Mm. and it was still a beautiful gathering Mm. 
it was just really beautiful seeing my mom and her siblings be there for each other mm. and and like crying and hugging together it was so amazing to mm. kind of witness that and I yeah it was just a really beautiful day despite the loss um mm-hmm. yeah I think that is an underestimated power of funerals or services, you know, is that it's this, like, yes, there's a lot of grief and sadness, but it's this, I don't know, it's almost like the person who died, it's like their sort of last act of pulling everyone together. (laughs) And there's so much joy in people coming together. and, And like, you're talking about like music and food and sharing stories and yeah there's um it can be a really there's a lot of positivity to it even though it is like ultimately for a you know like a hard and sad thing Mm -hmm. um and it sounds the way you're describing it sounds very lively you know Mm -hmm. like just a lot of yeah sound and people and you know yeah I think that's a fitting I think it's a fitting way to honor somebody, right? You know, it's like the focus is less on like their death, but their life. Um, yeah. So. And having a big family, of course, there were mm-hmm. so many people across all ages, mm-hmm. babies and toddlers, <laughs> just, yeah, having a big mm-hmm. family. It's really beautiful still. Mm, mm. I love that. Do you feel like, has your family been able to get together since then? Like, have there been, sounds like maybe, yeah, weddings or things like that or? Yeah, every year we had still done a family reunion over the summer. Mm -hmm. And even though, Previously, we held them in Washington because that's where my grandma was. Um, We still gather there. That's Mm. always the place. And even though now we have the option of going and meeting wherever we want, Mm -hmm. it just always ends up being there. I just want to say one more thing, which is that I am not an expert. I'm not here to tell people how to grieve or heal or what death is or isn't. My main goal with this project is simply to create space for us to share our stories about death and dying. And from that collective experience, enable all of us to feel less alone in facing the challenges of grief and loss. Thank you for listening, for being brave and vulnerable and for your time. Any questions or comments, please get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you and perhaps share your story too.